Welcome to God's Planning, Contemplative Preachers, Contemporary Age. Each week, join the Dominican Friars as they consider all things Catholic. Welcome to God's Planning. I am Father Bonaventure, and I am with Father Gregory Pine, as you can tell, in the luxurious studios of Dominican Council Studies for a short period of time, because pretty soon, Father Gregory, you will be changing your logo, or I suspect your, uh, your job title, I think. Mm. Um, Change. You may already be there at this moment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, I think when this when we will have posted this episode, it's be, live. Yeah, exactly. I'll be in Switzerland, so um, I at this point can imagine what it will be like to be in Switzerland and mm-hmm. uh, maybe extemporize based on the experience of others who have been in Switzerland. So at this point, I will have been living for like a month and change at the uh, Couvent Saint Yacinth, which is a uh, Saint Yacinth. What's up? Which is a convent of the um, Dominican province of Switzerland, and. Uh, I am studying with Gilles Emery at the University of Freiburg. I'm studying Thomistic Christology, specifically how the Lord Jesus saves. Mm, big words. So that's it. Yep. So I'm studying big words so that I can do further big word things. Mm, big wording. Yep. So big wording abounds. Um, and yeah, so far we're just going from five syllables to six. And uh, I, I foresee seven in the future. Dominicans love it. Ratchet it up. You can add like a neo onto something or a paleo onto something. You can just. <laughs> it's not we'll never catch up to german where you can just smash words together suzaman fossen and such yeah exactly. but uh but we can with hyphens we can approach it and uh we can yeah and especially with ologies and such uh-huh. that's great um and so you're well what should we say ready for covid in europe <laughs> um am i ready for covid in europe i don't know i'm um i'm wildly underinformed as to how covid works in europe um so Switzerland is a mountainous country, and it's a little bit finicky, I suppose, when it comes to immigration. So they don't, they don't very much like for people to come there, irrespective of whether or not you are sick or suspected to be sick. So I think they've been ready for COVID for like, you know, thousands of years. Um, as to how it really changes their culture, I have no idea. But I don't suspect that it's going to affect like, you know, Sunday walks in the mountains as much. So, well, Switzerland also is a neutral country, if I remember correctly. Mm. So they didn't join wars, and uh, I assume the same thing. Viruses apply, and uh, <laughs> they they respect that. They lift up the bridges or blow up the bridges or something. So I'm sure they've done something similar to that for COVID. So, yes. um, but we hope everyone else is enjoying COVID tide right now. We continue in this season of grace, and uh, the opportunity to wear special vestments, especially on your face, uh, which we are not doing, but that's because we're in a house. Um, so that's okay. Okay, but one day, who knows? You just never know. We might have to. But it's tumultuous times, so we continue on with this this great festival mm. and season. Uh, but we're not going to speak about COVID anymore. No. Because our topic for today is, is C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. Clive Staples Lewis, who is, I suppose we generally do literature, it seems like. And he's a, well, we're going to talk about that, I suppose. Clive Staples Lewis, C.S. Lewis, also known as Jack, those to his friends and such. Mm-hmm. And we're not friends with him, so we'll call him C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, but he's delightful. So when did you first come up with the, when did you first meet C.S. Lewis? I first met C.S. Lewis in my mom and dad's bookstore. So my mom and dad owned a little Catholic bookshop for 25 years. It didn't make much money, um, but it made much friends. A Catholic bookstore, you said. Exactly. Correct. Yeah. Especially in the, uh, the dispensation of Amazon Instant mm. Delivery. Um, they they found it difficult to keep up with drone delivery. Yeah, it was pre it was pre drone. I think <laughs> right. Just wait till now. 
Yeah, but um, I used to work for my mom and dad. Um, so like take some hours as the whatever shopkeeper, I guess would be my technical mm-hmm. title. And uh, during that time, um, people would come in and talk to my mom. They wouldn't come in to talk to me because my mom is good at talking to people and I'm not. So when I was there, they just caught the impression like Gina's not around. So um, no, don't bother going to solve every Gina. Uh, so I would have a lot of free time. So I would just toddle around the store and pick up things that looked nice to me. And I started picking up the C.S. Lewis Signature Classics. Oh, those are nice, aren't they? Yes. Yeah, so they look nicer now than they used to. That's true. They've gone through yeah. a few printings. But yes. I think I picked up maybe the Screw Tape Letters. Okay. Mere Christianity. Problem yes. of Pain. Over, uh, like over the course of one summer. And I was just uh, I was smitten. Yeah, it's hard not to be. Um, I mean, I've, I've, most of the listeners now and maybe viewers, who knows, um, <laughs> probably have, have read C.S. Lewis. and some, he, He's written in so many different genres. Of course, born in 1898 in Belfast, Ireland. So he's not English. He's actually Irish um, and not Catholic. Of course, from Belfast, that should be obvious. Um, and then 19, died in 1963 in Oxford. So he spent most of his life in Oxford. Um, in the kilns was his little house there with Warney, his brother, um, and Joy Davids. Oh, see, the thing with C.S. Lewis' biography is I think everyone knows basically all the important stuff to know about him. I mean, he went he was in World War One, and then he gave World War Two talks and things on the radio. That's where Christianity worked out. Mm. But wrote a ton, yeah. a ton, and really hard to describe. Like, so when I was thinking, how do you describe this man? I mean, he wrote apologetics things. Mm-hmm. So known for a defense of the faith and mere Christianity, people probably read or miracles and uh, uh, screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he wrote literature. So a lot of people would have been introduced to him through uh, Chronicles of Narnia. Perhaps they, they read those when they were growing up uh, or had them read to them or watched them, the movies. Uh, and then also the, the Ransom trilogy or the Space trilogy, mm-hmm. um, which tell we have faces, a bunch yep. of, of, of questionable literature, you could say. <laughs> wow. Um, I mean, ad, questionable as literature, I should say. It's, it's, all, it's all pure and good to go and wholesome, but quite, maybe questionable. as. And then, and then there's just like these other, the, the category miscellane, miscellaneous, the miscellany yeah. of uh, tons, tons, yep. letters to Malcolm, um, a grief observed, mm-hmm. you know, problem of pain, I think, is really more of that than apologetics. Tons of essays, I mean, on humanitarian theory of punishment. Sure, yeah, got in the dock. Got in the dock's weight of glory, that collection with the, in, in the inner ring, just tons of these things. I think those, are those the two essay collections or something? Um, uh, short answer is I don't know all of the essay collections, but I know the, there's also like a bunch of stuff that just because it hasn't been reprinted by like Penguin, or by like Harcourt Brace Jovanovich. Yes. Uh, no one sees it. But the, he also has a bunch of scholarly stuff. Oh, too. sure. I was going to say a discarded image yeah, um, yeah, about yeah. medieval literature. And then he's the also allegory got. Allegory of love. Uh-huh. Um, uh huh. He also has la- oh, also Latin letters to his friend. I forget what that's called. Like he wrote Latin <laughs> to his friend. I mean, what a. What a uh, how do you. Just, I mean, uh, what, how yeah. do you. Yeah. He's. You, uh, put this way. I feel like I know exactly who he is. Mm-hmm. And then when you start like talking about him and you think, how, how is this man possible? Yeah. Like what? Yeah. I mean, I guess. Like, Reminds one of, of perhaps another. Uh, uh, you mean, are, we, are we gesturing towards? We're gesturing towards a Chesterton. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Do you, do you ever he's find like that? Ch- he's like Chesterton, but with like. Expertise. Skill and. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and beautiful English. Yeah. No, there's, there's a sense in which um, he is a, a polymath. So he is mm. a student of yep. many disciplines. Um, and he is also in no wise pedantic, you know, or like uh, hoity-toity. I don't know if I'm coming up with a good adjective to describe the phenomenon, but he's very, very learned, obviously. Mm-hmm. So a scholar of like medieval and Renaissance literature. 
Um, and it's, it's evident that he's formed in that tradition and that he has all the acumen of, you know, a literary critic or uh, an appreciator thereof. And, um, and yet it's not like you didn't, you never get the impression like he's showing off. Yes. Right? So he knows all of the things, um, but you do not feel like snowed over or otherwise kind of like blown, blown over maybe just by his knowing of the things it's, he, he always is able to bring his like very vast knowledge to bear on very practical problems and to do it in a way that is, um, yeah, eminently relatable. It's awesome. Yeah. He's, there's really no one, no one like him as far as, I don't know who to, again, who to compare with him. I, I think of, like for instance, the introduction to an introduction to Christianity, um, a, a book, if you wanted to give someone a book about what Christianity is really about and sort of thing, but a, a, you know, an easy introduction or something. Mere Christianity was written in like 1943 or something like that. I don't know of any, I mean, N.T. Wright made a go at this, um, but I don't know of anyone who's been able to pull it off in the yeah. way that is, that book is, I mean, delightful is the way that I describe, I mean, every one of his writings, even a grief observed is not delightful, but it's, it's something about it. There's, it's readable. Yeah. There, you, you, I'll just put it this way. I've never read something by Lewis and thought, well, that was a waste of time mm. and it wasn't even enjoyable, you know? <laughs> It's always enjoyable. It's edificatory. I mean, it is, yeah, he is, he is phenomenal. But as you say, no slouch. Uh, no. And a very, very intelligent man. And people, I think, at least they compare him literary-wise to J.R.R. Tolkien. So this is the kind of, are you a, you know, are you a, a Lord of the Rings person or a Chronicles of Narnia person, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think Tolkien also thought, he didn't read, someone asked him about Narnia Chronicles or something, the Chronicles of Narnia. And I think he said, I just don't, I don't yeah, I don't worry about them. They're just, he thought they were too simple or too simplistic, right? Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Lewis thought, well, I'm, ready, I'm trying to get people to believe in God, you know, and Jesus Christ. And I want to tell them these things. And Lord of the Rings, maybe we should do Tolkien at some point. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. But, I mean, the images you get from Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know, the fawn and the little, the, the lamppost missing one of its little things. You wonder how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, always always snowing, but always winter, but never Christmas. Mm. The one, uh, Horse and His Boy, book three about Providence and kind of the, the, the footsteps always walking by, this sort of thing. Then the remembering, the book, the images. She has to remember things in the fourth one or something. There's just stuff that you re- you'll never forget. I mean, it's a catechesis, uh, a brilliant catechesis. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that, um, so there's a sense in which everything that C.S. Lewis does, he does deliberately. And I think that, um, you know, you mentioned a kind of disagreement between Tolkien and Lewis as to the integrity of literature, right? So Tolkien was very much, um, well, he thought that you told a story and you didn't worry too terribly much about being kind of overtly allegorical because he thought that if the thing were true, then it could be brought to bear on one's own life or the life of faith, as it were. Um, whereas Lewis is very overt um, in his drawing of connections between the stories that he writes and the religious truths that he seeks to illumine. Um, but I think that like that, that literary theory, which kind of undergirds especially the Chronicles of Narnia, it's also part of the reason why he's so, such a good apologist, mm-hmm. right? Because he's so clear. Yes. Right? And, and to some, it may seem crass. Um, I, don't, I don't think it is. I think it's just delightful. And he's very explicit that the Chronicles of Narnia are written for children, you know, and the introduction to the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, he dedicates it, I think, to his niece, Polly, maybe. Mm. And he says, uh, I intended to write this for you, you know, when you were a child, but you've grown old, basically, that, that children grow 
quicker than do books. Yeah. Um, but there'll come a time, he says, when you'll be, uh, you'll be able to read it and to appreciate it again. So there's a sense in which, um, you know, it's for children. And so it can, it can afford to be a little bit straightforward. But um, it's also, we, we can appreciate it too, insofar as we're all in need of a kind of popular apologetic. Mm. Um, as intelligent as we might think ourselves, it's always beneficial to hear the truths of the faith explained in a way that's clear, that's concise, that's compelling, that's informed, you know, kind of formed by faith and fired by charity. And that's certainly something that one gets when reading C.S. Lewis. And as a result of which, it just, it just continues to be refreshing and delightful and, and eminently readable. Yeah, he's a, he's a popularizer that you think, well, I'll just stick with him. You know, he has that, like, you read, you read his, his, his things and you think, well, that's, yeah, what else would I want to go? Anything else would be, I'll go on to the things. But, like, he's still the base, you know, it's still the base. It's very, I'm always taken away, and I just, I love his work. Uh, Four Loves also is another one. We'll, yeah. Look, we're going to get in some details about it. We'll say greatest hits. The second half of this episode will be greatest hits of, of C.S. Lewis, maybe, talking about that. And uh, you can be following along. It's not a call-in show, but you can just yell <laughs> at, um, <laughs> at, your, at your screen or anyone next to you. So we'll be back in just a moment to talk about C.S. Lewis, our greatest hits, some thoughts about him, and maybe some pieces that you haven't read that you might want to dip into. This is God's Planning. Get up to date on all our latest episodes at opeast.org slash godsplaining. And we're back talking about C.S. Lewis and some pieces by him. I think everyone has favorites, mm-hmm. um, but the, perhaps there's some pieces that people haven't read as much of. Um, so why don't you start us off, uh, Father Gregory, do you, any, any piece that, well, say your favorite piece, baby, and mm-hmm. then maybe like a piece that people aren't as familiar with but it's just really good sure yeah no i think that um yeah just because modern publishing houses tend to pick up volumes that they think will sell more uh a lot of us are familiar with maybe five or six things mm-hmm. um so grief observed problem of pain screw tape letters mere christianity abolition of man miracles abolition of man like that's that's kind of the ones that people will have read or will have been assigned to them at a Catholic or Christian college. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, the next, the next layer, as it were, uh, contains a wealth of insight, uh, but may just not sell as well, you know? Um, so I think the four loves is mm-hmm. one that I, that I really love uh, in this regard. And I think it's really uh, beneficial to read the four loves together with surprise by joy, which is his own description of conversion. And um, with, so we have faces because those wall. <laughs> um, i hate that book carry on okay uh father bonaventure and i once uh listened to that book when we were driving to cincinnati uh, i think it was cincinnati yeah yeah Woo. yeah, yeah, that, yeah, was yeah. That, that was tough that was tough well that was tough for you one tough for me okay i love that book um but those books all written together i think at the beginning of the 1960s uh really focus on similar themes and um the i mean the theme of love effectively and what it means to love and to be loved <clears throat> and why? Uh, why do I appreciate it? Well, um, so in the four loves, as the name of trade, you know, he goes through these different kind of different different modes of love, uh, but it's the type of thing that's just system, systematic enough, mm-hmm. um, so yes. it's not to be kind of piggledy piggledy. Yes, um, but it's not it's not dry uh, scholastic prose. Yeah. It's um, it's very experiential, and it's you get the distinct impression that it's based on his own life of friendship. Um, what he describes as friendship, I think, oftentimes is probably just masculine friendship yes uh so i think he he tends to universalize a little bit beyond his experience but it's good when it stays close to his experience so like an image taken from uh taken from the four loves that i really appreciate is that of 
friends, uh, kind of like not getting lost in each other or not being overly sensitive to each other's interior states, but having their friendship flourish to the extent that they are directed on a common object. And he, he, he says as a criticism of erotic love that, you know, kind of erotic lovers are face to face and can get lost in each other as a result. Mm-hmm. But he says of friends that they are side by side, proceeding towards a common goal. And now mind you, you know, there may be limitations to that image. But I think at the very least, this idea of um, order in relationship as issuing from a common end is a really attractive one. Because I think sometimes in our relationships, we try to manipulate or tinker or otherwise try to elicit from the other a response. When truth be told, he says, uh, in order to have friends, you need to want something more than friends, right? Mm -hmm. That your friendships will grow, flourish, be healthy to the extent that you together prize a common goal and together proceed towards it, whether hand in hand or arm in arm or skipping or, you know, you get it. Uh, So yeah, that's, that's a fair Yeah, I think I, his his turns of phrase I'm, the, from that friendship and that I think the friendship one is the best of those four for love essays one the chair I have I, f- I always forget what the charity one he says in there I'm sure it's good but like the <laughs> the philia is the one that I really sticks in my mind um, and because he starts it off saying I know people are gonna are suspicious of friendship today because there's a concern that it might be something that men don't do together you know and then he gives his list but then he gives his list of historical references of like this you know jonathan and david tristan whatever and he gets to and he says roman and the roman centurions leaving their men and giving them farewell kisses all pansies <laughs> i just it's just fantastic this is a way like just cutting right through things so that is a great that is a great book i think um so two one i love the ransom trilogy the space trilogy yeah. um even though I think some people, re- you know, it's it's overshadowed by the Chronicles of Narnia, but it's like the adult fiction book, and it has it's made of three books, and the first two books aren't books, and the third one is a book, and it's not good. That's how I tend to describe <laughs> it. But they're all because he, from a philosophical aspect, the first two are little vignettes into they just he's able to nail images down that just queer a bit your view of reality and the truth. You know, he always says that. I forget is Amir Christianity where he says. Christian that certain things Christianity has that certain queerness about it that means it's true mm. you know and there's just a, a bunch of insights from out of the silent planet the first book of ransom trilogy and then Perilandria, the second book of of ransom trilogy um space trilogy like in the first book there's he talks about being out in space um and he talks about the life of it and how alive it is out there mm-hmm. and warm and how he'd always thought it was actually you'd assume that it'd be kind of dead cold space because that's what science tells us dead mm-hmm. cold space but actually it's a place of warmth and light and all of this um and it just conceptually switches you around a little bit the things he talks about about language in there mm-hmm. are just fascinating fascinating vignettes i think in paralandra you see pre-fallen he kind of does a, a what I think I was taught in college called like a supposalism. So he has, this is his genre is like, he supposes his imagination. Suppose that you, there was no fall. What would it look like? Or suppose we were back before the fall and you just, you get to see human character and human virtue in a different light in a way, kind of pre-fallen. And you know, I mean, it's, it's fiction, but it does open up little conceptual schemas. Uh, the second thing is, there's his uh, very the unread book, uh, the Discarded Image, you could say, where he talks about, and Discarded Image refers to the medieval model of literature and mind and mindset and all of this compared to the modern. And that's a fascinating book just for the epilogue, I would say, amongst other things, because he, just show off his like philosophical chops, 
he brings up an issue that is huge in philosophy of science. So right around the same time, Thomas Kuhn is writing the structure of scientific revolution that science changes from old models to new models because of research projects, not because of getting a truth, but because a new model is more exciting or answers different questions, it's better at problem solving and all these sort of sociological reasons as opposed to just kind of an epistemological reason or a truth reason. And I don't, I have an idea if C.S. Lewis read Thomas Kuhn. It's right about the same time. I doubt he did. It wouldn't have been his thing. But in that epilogue, he says, he spent time talking about the medieval mindset, the medieval model of the world. And he says, I, I'm not going to lie. I love this. I'm very enchanted by it. But I, you're going to agree. You're going to say to me, well, you know, it's got a problem. It's not true. And I says, yes, it's not true. But then he talks about how our current models of thinking about the world and scientism and, and, and stuff are also models that, you know, are not, are structured and win out against the medieval model, not really because it's piling up more facts, but because of all these sociological other reasons. And he doesn't discount them, but what he's done is developed a notion of paradigm, Thomas Kuhn's paradigm, just from reflecting medieval and modern literature. And that's like that's mind-blowing to me. And he summarizes, you don't even need to read Structure Science, Structures of Scientific Revolution after you read eight pages of the epilogue of uh and that's just that's brilliant i love finding those philosophical gems in there because he says them in such a clear way uh, that are profound so that's those are two two i have yeah when you're talking about the uh space trilogy i read that uh the summer before i entered the order and it was like yeah i was i was so delighted to have discovered something that i did not know existed because Mm -hmm. when i finished the chronicles of narnia i was very disappointed to be done you know, yeah. Uh, when I read the the introduction to Lord of the Rings, uh, I think Christopher Tolkien wrote the introduction to the volume that I read. He said uh, the principal cr- criticism of the Lord of the Rings is that it's too short. You know, and you're you're holding like a thousand page book in your hand, and you're like, yeah, right, sweetheart. Um, but then by the end, you're like, give me more pages. You know, and and I had a similar I had a similar experience with the Chronicles of Narnia because, yeah, I just hadn't read them as a kid, or I might mm-hmm. have read one or two. I hadn't read them. The, I read them in college as well. Yeah. yeah. But I read them at the end of college and I just loved them so much. And then so to discover that there were these three other books, I was yeah. just over the moon. I was so pleased. I would, how, did you like them? I did. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. I loved them. And, and I think it was because um, at that point I was, I was more inclined to think parabolically. You know, I was, yeah. I was kind of looking for, I'd been reading Chesterton at that point for three years. So I was always looking for the moral of it, yeah. as it were. Um, I, I didn't really care too terribly much about literary integrity. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know that I ever will. Um, because I was just so, I was so, yeah, just, I, I was so taken with his imagination. And I think that that's something that you get. So mm. he, he himself says when writing the Chronicles of Narnia yes. that it began with an image that he had in his mind of a fawn yes. holding an umbrella standing next to a lamp yes. post. Amazing. So he, so he began with an image and then he makes this whole world that radiates from, you know, from that image. Um, I think that's I think that's an important point. That um, when you read C.S. Lewis, it's like you're reading a very smart child. Like <laughs> I get this sense that this was a man who was ever a child. And if yeah. you read Grief Observed, for instance, you know this isn't always this isn't the case. Yeah, yeah. Um. But but he, you get the sense that it's like stumbling on. He's just excited about everything. Yeah. And not in a weird curiosity way, but in a real robust way. And his imagination is and so he. In a sense, because we're told, like, don't use your imagination, you know, imaginations for kids and all this sort of thing, like fawns with, with you know, um, what do you have, a brawly or something? Umbrella. Uh, yeah, bumbershoot. Bumbershoot. Um, you know, like, yeah, that's for kids in this sort of, you know, this, this, but no, he, C.S. Lewis allows you to vicariously participate in childish imagination 
that turns out to be the most profound rationalistic discourse that could be around. That's what I love that. Yeah. No. And, and, and it kind of comes, I think it kind of comes to fever pitch in the space trilogy. So again, out of the silent planet, Paralandra and that hideous strength. And by the end of that hideous strength, I was just, I was, I couldn't, I couldn't put it down. Really? I was, I was so fascinating. Drunk. Oh my gosh. I love it. Wow. So the ending just kills you though, right? Oh, it kills man. everybody. It's the kill most me. disappointing thing in the world. I was absolutely ready. Wow. Yeah. Listeners, please. I want, you must read, obviously the space okay. trilogy. I call the ransom trilogy because ransom is the main character in it. And he's fantastic. I love, I love him to death. Um, but space trilogy recommended and then send in your comments. <laughs> Who's right. You know, um, were you disappointed? Whatever. Uh, so, I mean, I love it too, because it's like, the only trilogy of books that you'll ever read in which a philologist, you know, is the hero. Yes. So classic True. Lewis. Um, yeah. But I... Yeah, Speak so, talking head. Yeah. <laughs> That's in store for you and later. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like Chesterton, so who cares? Oh, yes. Yeah, um, so, yeah. And especially in that first book, some of the ideas that he kind of trots out, namely that you can have rational creatures that aren't human. Mm-hmm. I never thought about that. Yeah. Also, you know, C.S. Lewis is a guy who read a lot of science fiction. Um, Walter Hooper was his literary executor. He pulled together a bunch of uh, different essays called On Stories. Oh. And it's like his literary theory. But a lot, oh, of, it's about, read that. A lot of it's about science fiction. Okay. He, just, he loved Canticle for Leibowitz. Um, wow. Yeah, I knew he loved Norse mythology and all that. Yeah, you know, yeah, George yeah. MacDonald. But I didn't know science. I didn't know it was big science. Wow. Yeah, love science fiction. Wow. Um, so there, it's, you, you get a sense for his own scientific fictional kind of appetite um, because he plays with gravity. You know, so, yes, I remember that. So, like, the mountains are much, much more sheer and tall, and there are creatures that are accompaningly long, you know, the Sorns. Yes. Um, but then he also takes a thing which you think to be just dumb, like a little, like, kind of the beaver woodland thing? creature, <laughs> the tail type thing. It looks like a marmot, is the impression that I got. Yeah. And then they end up having these just like wild, rational discourses amongst and between themselves. Yes. Um, so he goes and he like accompanies them on one of their initiation rites when they go out in this boat and they have to hunt this thing in the water which is lethal deadly yes and 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 ransom is like why are you doing this you know like why would why would you hunt this thing that's going to kill you and it isn't actually good to eat and they're like you know it's an initiation right effectively they're like we live because there's death in the water and i was just over there thinking about baptism just pumping my fist just like losing my mind and mind you it's so overt but it's so beautiful you know yes it's so just imaginatively beautiful sometimes the cross just smacks you in the face it's the cross you know like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. you look at that oh wow you know yeah that's that's true but the, the space trilogy is is phenomenal well there's plenty more we could talk about cs Lewis. i mean just episodes and episodes this guy wrote a ton his essays especially in god in the docks there are some just phenomenal essays in there uh about political issues even but that's for you to go and and have a have a go at it and try some of the ones you haven't read lewis is just when you're good you're good so from God's planning, um, we're hoping you all do well. Please share this. If you have a Lewis fan, maybe an evangelical or something, he's big with them as well. Um, share the podcast with anyone who might be interested in C.S. Lewis or might be hearing about some Dominica- Dominicans. And we, uh, yeah, wish you all the best during COVID tide. And perhaps one day we'll be out of this as well. God bless. <laughs>